Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Fox News agreed to pay $787 million to a company that makes voting machines and admitted to lying about that company's work during the 2020 election. We're going to talk about this big number settlement today, what it means for the changing media landscape, and what it means for our deeply divided politics. Is truth finally winning? We'll talk about it next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. You don't need me to tell you how much the media landscape has been changing over the past several decades. The 80s and 90s saw the rise of the era of the 24-hour news cycle. And the biggest promoters of this were news networks like CNN, MSNBC, and, of course, Fox News. The name of the game for these networks was and still is, to keep you watching, to keep your attention. And we know that's true because, of course, with more attention, with more eyeballs, come more advertising dollars. But that means these big networks are incentivized, in a way, to treat politics and news a little like sport. They're less incentivized to care for things like truth and care for the outcomes of human beings and more likely to care about sometimes really salacious things that will just grab your attention and keep it. And the news networks are not alone. In the past decade or so, we've seen the rise of social media, companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Google, and they have somewhat similar advertising models. They want to keep your eyes on your platforms for as long as they can, because that means more money for their businesses as well. They are also really interested in who you are, the data about your life that they collect on their platforms and sell to advertisers. A little later in the hour, we're going to talk pretty deeply about how our media landscape has shifted over the last 30 years, we're going to explore all the different options that we have for news consumption today, how the news itself has changed, and what all this means for our politics, how we negotiate and work with one another in a way that's different today than in the past, in part because of media. But first, we really want to zero in on a pretty significant happening this week for one of the big networks. Fox News agreed this past week to pay Dominion Voting Systems $787.5 million in a defamation lawsuit. It's a very, very big number. And in some ways, 
Maybe that suggests Fox News is really being penalized for having told some pretty spectacular lies about Dominion and some other voting machine companies during the 2020 presidential election. But there are other people who say, well, Fox News has a lot of money and its owner is one of the richest men in the world. Is this really a punishment for Fox News? Is it really the kind of thing that would dissuade them from this kind of behavior in the future? Those questions are where we begin the conversation today. What does this settlement actually mean? What's coming next? There are other lawsuits pending against Fox News for the very same behavior in the very same election. To help us make sense of all of this, what it means for Fox News and whether Fox News will actually change at all after all of this, we've got Katie Robertson here with us. She is a media reporter for The New York Times, and she has been covering the lawsuits filed against Fox News, including the one from Dominion. Katie, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for having me on. Sure. So uh, let's start with how this lawsuit with Dominion Voting Systems against Fox News began. Let's go back to 2020 and uh, the, the aftermath of the presidential election. What did Fox do to Dominion? Right, sure. I mean, I think many of your listeners can remember that there a narrative kind of started that there had been um, vote rigging and there was widespread voter fraud. That This was something that President Trump was pushing as he refused to accept the results of the elections, and uh, many of his supporters were pushing as well. And Fox played a key role here because they were the ones broadcasting these claims. They had on um, President Trump's lawyers at the time, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, and gave it a lot of airtime. And in fact, some of the Fox News hosts even endorsed these claims and, you know, lent them a lot of credence that there was some kind of big conspiracy of vote rigging. And they tied Dominion into this by saying that something had happened with the machines and they were flipping, like flipping votes from party to party. And Fox ultimately settles uh, with Dominion for over $700 million. First, talk about why they reached that settlement. They were about to pick a jury uh, in that case. Uh, but also uh, talk about whether this is something of a win for Fox News because it avoided some things coming out in trial and because in, in, the, in the context of how much money Fox News probably has, eh, maybe, this isn't, maybe this isn't really so much. Mm. Look, so we were there in uh, Wilmington, Delaware this week. Um, everyone was ready for the trial. The judge had, it was meant to start on Monday. The judge delayed by a day late Sunday night. So on Tuesday, they actually did select a jury. They had the 12 jurors impaneled. They picked 12 alternates. We had a lunch break. Then we all came back at 1.30 p.m. on Tuesday, ready for the opening statements. <laughs> um, and just to give a picture of how down to the wire it was, you know, the, the lawyers who were about to give the opening statement had their microphones clipped on their lapels. They had their slideshows ready to go. They had their papers in front of them. We were ready to go. Um, and then we had a bit of a delay, a bit of a drawn out. No one knew what was going on. And about two hours after we were all sitting there in the courtroom, the judge came out and uh, told everyone that the case had been resolved and everyone was free to go. The jury had <laughs> served for their <laughs> half a day. Um, so what had happened behind closed doors was that right down to the wire, Basically, just on that Tuesday, um, Fox and Dominion had, through the help of a mediator, finally come to an agreement that both of them could handle. 
Um, and for Fox, that meant this staggering high number, this nearly $800 million payment, which is by far a record for a defamation lawsuit. Right. And um, they also did put out a statement saying they acknowledged that certain claims about Dominion had been false. They, the, the judge had already ruled that the statements they'd made about Dominion in terms of voter fraud were not true. They, they said that they recognized that. Um, so to your other question, is this a win for Fox? I mean, I think we could look at it in two ways. Yes, they did not have to do an on-air apology. I think a lot of people were hoping for that, hoping that you know they would be telling their audience that, yes, we lied to you, we knowingly lied to you, and uh, we apologize for those lies, and we recognize that it was not true at all. That is not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a huge, pay- huge payout. I don't think that can be overstated. And while it is not going to bankrupt Fox, it does set a precedent. And as you mentioned, they are currently facing another lawsuit from another voting company, Smartmatic. Now, that one is nowhere near as far along as the Dominion one was. Um, it's in New York, not in Delaware. And I believe the latest is that a trial would be in 2025. So it's still a ways down the way. Um, but with this with this precedent, that is, you know, that is setting, setting up that lawsuit for potentially another huge payout. Dominion also had managed to get an enormous amount of evidence from inside Fox through the discovery process. They had mm-hmm. internal emails, internal messages, where a lot of the hosts and the Fox executives were privately skeptical of these claims of voter fraud, even denigrating President Trump and his lawyers, and yet obviously still broadcasting and telling another story to their viewers. And that was in search of profit and ratings, as you said. Um, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners have seen those headlines. So that is out there. That is all on the public record now and can be used in other lawsuits. And I think that there is, that's no small thing. Um, I mean, in terms of will Fox change how they're doing business, I don't think we're going to see, I don't think we're going to see a huge shift in that. I think that they believe their business model is working and this is a hit they're going to take for it. But I do think there is some, um, they are a little nervous. I mean, they did settle this. They could have gone to trial and thrown, you know, rolled the dice and seen how it went. But they, I think, knew that it was not looking good for them in this Dominion trial. And even just last night, um, Lachlan Murdoch, who is the CEO of Fox Corp, which owns Fox News, mm-hmm. he had filed his own defamation case in Australia against a small publisher there, which had linked him and his family to the January 6th riots at the Capitol. And he dropped that lawsuit overnight. Um, mm. He said in a statement that, well, his lawyer said in a statement that he believed he could have won, but, you know, just, you know, didn't want to waste the court's time. But I think that is an indication that they're worried. They know that there is a lot of evidence that does not look good for them here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking with Katie Robertson. She is a media reporter for The New York Times, and she's been covering the lawsuits filed against Fox News, including the one from Dominion, which was settled earlier this week for $787 million. Uh, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Uh, what do you make of Fox News? Uh, what do you make of Fox News settling this lawsuit? Uh, are you a fan of Fox News? Uh, do you listen or watch uh, the network? Uh, do you have friends that uh, pay attention to the network? And uh, give us a sense of what role you think Fox is playing, both in the media landscape, but also in the political landscape, and whether you think this settlement uh, and the big number attached to it 
uh, will affect the role that Fox News plays uh, in media and in politics. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work into the conversation a little later in the show. We are going to talk more deeply about uh, the media landscape and how it has changed over the past several decades uh, with the emergence of uh, players like Fox News and social media and all the other things that uh, that we pay attention to throughout the day. Uh, Katie, I, I do want to talk about some things that, that did come out of this lawsuit. And, and the one that really caught my attention was uh, about the text messages from lead anchors and managers at Fox News. A lot of them said that they don't particularly care for Donald Trump, the former president of the United States. And uh, one of their lead anchors, Tucker Carlson, actually said he hates Trump pretty passionately. And yet these hosts go on the screen day after day, uh, often defending Donald Trump, even though they say they don't like him or believe in them. I, I think there's something really important about that revelation um, in, in the sense that there is this big question about the role that truth plays and honesty, uh, you know, what face you are putting forward uh, to your viewers, not just on Fox News, but but on many of the media channels. What, what are we to, to take away, I guess, from, from learning that uh, in many cases what we're seeing on Fox is, is inauthentic in a way, given that they don't necessarily believe the things maybe that they're saying? Yeah, I think some of those text messages were incredibly revealing and you know, probably quite shocking for people to read because maybe a cynical view is that you know they're just doing it all for the ratings, but it really did show that, yes, they were doing it for the ratings. <laughs> it was pretty evident in emails even between um, people like Rupert Murdoch and Suzanne Scott, who is the CEO of Fox News, that, uh, you know, this is ratings goal. We need to, as Suzanne Scott has said multiple times, respect the audience by not turning them off. Um, I mean, a key part of this whole case as well was that um, viewers had left Fox and in droves because they had actually reported the truth, which was they had called the state of Arizona for Joe Biden first mm -hmm. and correctly. Um, and that was from their news division. And people were very angry about that. Their, their viewers are very angry and they could see the viewers, you know, leaving for more conservative right leaning networks like Newsmax. And they were panicking. They were, there was panic in those emails and in those texts where they are trying to do anything they can to uh, bring the viewers back. So I think it is kind of shocking to look at and see what they were privately saying and then what they were willing to say on air to their viewers as an attempt to, um, to keep people happy, to tell them what they wanted to hear. Yeah. And I just think there is an important distinction here, which, um, I mean, you said in your intro, News, some news organizations are chasing ratings and, you know, chasing an audience. But I think what we see here is just so different to how normal news organizations work, which is that most journalists are, are trying to find the truth and sure. not outright knowingly lying to their audience. And that really is how defamation law is currently set up. And this is a great example of, um, I think many First Amendment um, experts would say, a great example of how that NYT uh, v. Sullivan standard is meant to work, which is the standard to prove defamation against it, like a media organization, is there has to be actual malice. Mm -hmm. There has to be this knowingness that you are uh, telling a lie to your audience, not just that you made a mistake, 
but that there is an intent there. Yeah, and, intent is um, a big part of the law, right? Right, right. So and that protects news organizations that are trying to tell, you know, trying to report the news, make a mistake um, or are sloppy even. But it's with this willingness to spread false claims uh, where the standard kind of comes into play. And I think that's what Fox was scared of in this case, because there was a lot of evidence that that's what was going on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start today with Eric in Plymouth. Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thanks hey. for having me. Sure. Um, I've just got a couple thoughts I want to get out there. One, I'm really disheartened because in reality, this changes nothing for Fox News, right? They're still going to be among the highest rated cable news. Tucker Carlson's still going to be one of the highest rated shows, and so is Sean Hannity. And it's really ironic because, in my experience, the people that use the term Fox, or fake news, I'm sorry, are typically like Fox, you know, junkies, right? So here you've got a network that knowingly lied to you. You have an audience that knows that they've been lied to, and they don't care. They want to be told what they want to hear. And, then, you know, it's just sad that it's not going to change anything. Hmm. Eric, I think that's a really interesting observation, the, the, the relationship between Fox and its audience and whether this, you know, this lawsuit and the settlement it will have an effect on, on that audience. Uh, Katie, I'm really curious about your take on that. What about Fox's viewers? Uh, are, are they likely to have a negative reaction to, uh, to this settlement in the sense of, of peeling away from Fox? Or do they double down and say, this is maybe this is why I, this is why I watch and so I'm staying? Uh, look, I think Eric is right, and he is definitely voicing a sentiment that I, I think a lot of people felt. They really wanted to see this case as, you know, a real accountability test for Fox. And while it is a lot of money, it's not, there's no on-air apology, as we said. And I would agree that I don't think anything is going to change. And in terms of Fox's viewers, I would probably argue many of them may have not even heard about the case or heard that much about it, depending on where they're getting their news. Mm-hmm. Fox barely covered this. They did a very short story on their website and I think mentioned it on air just a handful of times, whereas obviously other other networks were airing it all day long and had you know wall-to-wall coverage. So I think the audience is not going anywhere else. I think they... They know what they're getting, and they're happy with that. And that's, I guess, speaks to the divided country that we currently see. Yeah. Yeah. Big Neo on Twitter says, if Fox, quote, news doesn't have to admit on the air to its viewers that they lied, those people will continue to believe the lies that they were told about the election. Not a lot of things will convince them to believe something other than what they already do. Ed on Twitter says, uh, Detroit uh, today, he says, uh, the very next day on the air, Fox was defiantly stating that they stand behind the news they supply. The people who only have one source only have uh, one view. Let's uh, go back to the phones here. Elena in uh, Huntington Woods. Elena, what's on your mind? Are you there, Elena? Which is really, is there a distinction for Fox viewers of their reaction to a settlement versus an out-and-out judgment um, against Fox News. I'm sorry, Elena, we, we didn't catch the beginning of what you said. Can you just repeat that? Okay. What I said is that I think some of this may have been covered, so apologies. My question was whether you think there's a difference in the reaction of Fox News listeners to a settlement versus a jury verdict. Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting. That's a really interesting question, uh, Katie. If this had gone to a jury 
and uh, and Fox had lost. Uh, obviously, I think they might have been uh, subject to a larger a larger penalty. But would would there have been more credibility even among Fox's viewers uh, if a jury had said, "Hey, look, these were lies, and and you're responsible for them." That's, I think that's a great question, and um, I guess there's not really any way of us knowing that's not going to happen now, but, but I mean, I wonder if there would have been. The problem there is that, that Fox was going to appeal whatever. If they had lost, they, would, they were absolutely going to appeal that, and it was going to continue on. So I think they would have been quite defiant as well, even in, in that case. Um, and I, I do I take the point of some of your other listeners that I don't know if there would really be anything that would change some people's minds in yeah. this case. Yeah, um, I, I wonder what uh, what you make of the possibility that the next lawsuit, uh, the Smartmatic uh, lawsuit, might go to trial. That company had some pretty strong words this week about uh, their ambitions in their in their lawsuit. Does Fox perhaps face more trouble uh, in that litigation? Yeah, and I think that's something people should remember: is that this is not the end of um, Fox's culpability for the spreading of these election lies. That case is moving forward at this point. They're, you know, haven't talked about a settlement yet. It's like, as I said, it's early days in that case, but that's definitely a big problem for them. And Smartmatic is, in fact, suing for much more than Dominion was. I believe they've, they're asking for 2.7 billion in damages claims, whereas Dominion initially was asking for 1.6 billion. Mm-hmm. And I think another big problem for Fox at the moment is um, the threat of more shareholder lawsuits. So I believe one has already been filed and others are coming down the pipeline. And that's going to, that could disrupt, you know, that could disrupt um, how the company is governed and whether people, you know, heads roll for this. And I think that's something they should be worried about right now. Yeah. Okay, uh, Katie Robertson of the New York Times. Really great to have you here with us uh, on Detroit Today. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about Fox News, but we're going to broaden the conversation to talk about how our entire media environment has changed and what that does to our media consumption as well as to our politics. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. This is... Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined. We've been talking about the recent Fox News settlement with Dominion Voting Systems, but we want to expand the conversation a little bit further right now. Our media environment has changed really significantly over the last 30 years. And I say that not only as a consumer of media, which of course I am, but as someone who's been working in media over that 30 years. Uh, when I graduated from college in the early 1990s and went out into the world to 
be a journalist. Uh, my work, the skill sets that I was uh, required to have, the whole sensibility about the way that we bring and distribute news to people didn't look anything like it does today. Of course, over that time as well, we've had the rise of powerful broadcasting networks and social media companies that have changed fundamentally the way we exchange information. Our national news environment runs for 24 hours a day now, even as much local news goes increasingly uncovered in much of the country because of other changes in the business. That's where we want to continue the conversation. How has all of this changed us? How has it altered the way we consume information and the way we interact with each other over our politics? How has it changed our politicians? How has it changed journalists? And has it made polarization worse. We've got two really great guests with us to discuss all of this. Paul Levinson is a professor of communications and media studies at Fordham University in New York. Paul, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, happy to be back here. Yeah. We also have uh, John Watson here. He is an associate professor in the School of Communication at American University. Professor Watson, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, Professor Watson, I'm going to start with you. Uh, we've got smartphones and access to news channels 24 hours a day. Uh, talk about just that change, the access that we have. Uh, social media allows us to, of course, exchange information all the time and, and to tailor that information. How has that changed us as consumers of information? Okay. Uh, the major change is that there is no generally accepted gatekeeper of information. We individually now have to be our own gatekeepers. And very often that means there's no gate at all or the gate admits only highly selected information. It's, it's what we refer to now as the echo chamber. Previously, the, the major news media were the gatekeepers. And, and the gatekeeper function essentially was these professionals would say, these are the important issues and you, American public, should pay attention to them. Now with everyone potentially being a mass um, media personality, it's impossible for anybody to emerge as a gatekeeper mm except as individually selected by people who have an almost infinite variety of choices. So it's sort of chaotic. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say what you just described sounds a little like every person for themselves in, in finding the truth. Uh, uh, so, Paul, I want to bring you into the conversation here. What, what are the tools that people need to know and to have to actually navigate consuming all of these different channels. And I don't just mean television channels. I mean all of the different channels of uh, information. How, how should people be trying to discern truth on the Internet and on television? 
Well, let me first say that, you know, Fox itself has changed dramatically since the early 2000s. I was on the O'Reilly Factor a couple of times. I have a progressive point of view. So I was able to get some words out there. There used to be a show called Hannity and Combs Mm -hmm. on Fox. Combs uh, presented the progressive point of view. He was just fired uh, after a few years, and now it's just Hannity. So these echo chambers have been quite deliberately constructed. They didn't accidentally come into being. But as to your question, how can we find the truth? How can we know the truth? Most rational people, when we're just not thoroughly a captive of some propaganda, totally inside an information bubble, most of us have this sense when we hear something, you know, it somehow doesn't sound quite believable. We're not quite sure if it's right. One very good thing about our current environment is that it's never been easier to confirm something. So if, for example, you see a report about something, this just happened to me actually a couple of days ago, and I don't know how many people uh, saw this. There was a tweet about Pence pulling out of the Republican presidential 2024 race. And that didn't seem quite believable to me. So I looked at the New York Times, looked at the Wall Street Journal, looked at what MSNBC and CNN were saying, and there wasn't a word about that. It turned out this person, who was a pretty reliable person, just made a mistake. It was Pompeo who had announced that he was uh, leaving the, the race for the 2024 presidency. So what people need to do Whenever they have even the slightest qualm or doubt about something they see or hear reported in the news, is just check it out in other places. And you'll pretty quickly find that either it's true or it's not. Yeah. So I I do want to get both of your reactions to what we saw this week with uh, Fox News settling this uh, lawsuit with Dominion Voting Systems and paying a record uh, a record price uh, for the settlement in terms of defamation cases. I wonder if you make if you believe that this is a step in the direction of reining some of this in. I mean, the, the landscape you all are describing uh, again is not just chaotic, uh, but but it also seems. Uh, very fast moving in in a in a direction that's that's less regulated uh, internally. Uh, does this does this admission by Fox does this payment by Fox uh, signal to everybody? Hey, uh, put the brakes on a bit uh, and and be a little more more careful. Uh, Paul, I'll start with you this time. Well, I would say it's certainly better than nothing. Uh, you know, uh, three-quarters of a billion dollars is a lot of money. I'd be thrilled if I even got three-quarters of a million dollars. <laughs> right. So uh, even $750,000. So uh, that is an important result in a defamation case. But clearly it isn't enough. First of all, uh, Rupert Murdoch is so wealthy that uh, while this isn't a drop in the bucket, it's not even going to come close to putting him out of business. And, you know, one of the problems here is that 
civil suits can only do so much. All they can do is exact money. And uh, as much as I'm a believer in the First Amendment, I think the government needs to do something about Fox News. In fact, I actually wrote, I filed a formal complaint with the FTC this past summer saying that they should oblige Fox to change its name from Fox News to Fox Propaganda. So at least people would know what they're getting when they uh, watch that show. Right. Truth and advertising. Right. Right. Um, uh, Professor Watson, um, you know, I, I wonder again what you make of of the Fox News settlement. And I guess one of the things that's that's sticking in my mind is, okay, maybe it's not a lot of money to Rupert Murdoch, but you wouldn't want to pay this fine twice or three times. And so, does this change some of the internal calculus at Fox News in terms of who you hire or? Uh, what what uh, what ability you give them to to get on air and just say anything? I mean, does it act in some ways as uh, a dissuader uh, of this kind of behavior in the future? Actually, I think it does the exact opposite. So, first of all, that sounds like a lot of money, but Fox has libel insurance. That's true. So a good chunk of that would be disappeared. The remaining is subject to a federal income tax deduction. So I don't know what the actual dollar amount that would have to be paid is, but it is nothing like what you're looking at right now. Right. That's okay. a really great point. So I think so I think this is a fairly good business proposition a horrible journalism ethics proposition. I would have preferred, instead of a settlement, a jury decision. The jury would have awarded, I'm pretty sure, much more than the 780 million, all right? I mean, statistics have shown that when the media defendant is sued, a jury always awards an exorbitant amount of money. It's usually, um, reduced on appeal, but the dollar figure at the end of a jury verdict, I think, would have dwarfed what they got in the settlement. Hmm. Now, with the jury verdict, the plaintiff, the successful plaintiff, would be able to make some pretty harsh demands in addition to the money. And in, in many of these cases, I can't say all because I haven't done the research, but in many of these cases, particularly with libel, the winning plaintiff demands that a correction be issued. Sure. A statement that says what we said or what we published was incorrect. We were wrong. Here is the correct information about the plaintiff who sued us. This settlement, Fox doesn't have to do that. If you look at the wording of the settlement, it simply says, we accept what happened in court. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say we were wrong. And I would assume that they negotiated that language because an admission that what they said was a lie would be financially destructive to Fox. Yeah. Their audience would abandon them, apparently, if you, if you believe the... Um, the depositions from the leadership of the corporation, 
their, their, their audience would abandon them for the two other far right wing broadcasters. Yeah. Because when they announced the, um, the, um, the, the tallies in Arizona with Trump losing mm -hmm. to Biden, mm -hmm. they went berserk. They were losing viewers. They were losing money. So this was an excellent financial decision, this settlement, wow. but a horrible decision in terms of journalism ethics. Fox can continue with this business model. Wow. Because it, it works financially. Yeah. And, and think about who owns Fox. This is a, a corporation, a business corporation, and its primary means for existing is to make a profit. Making this settlement allows them to continue to make a profit. Businesses generally don't follow ethics. They follow the law. The law allows them to continue with this with this model. And to be perfectly frank, the First Amendment probably wouldn't allow Fox, would, probably wouldn't allow the government to force Fox to change its name from news to propaganda. <laughs> right. And probably some really good journalists would stand up and fight beside Fox. Right, to say we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to endure this kind of uh, government oversight. Right. Yeah. Okay. We, it's we, a very frightening settlement to me. Huh, I think yeah. the next one might be good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what happens in the next lawsuit, it might be the better. Smartmatic but, uh, suit, yeah. Okay, yeah, we need to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this really interesting conversation with John Watson and Paul Levinson. Also, want to get going again with you the listeners on the phones and on social call and tell us what you make of the media landscape uh, give us a sense of what your media diet looks like uh, what do you take in on a daily basis where do you get information these days uh, also let us know what you think of this settlement between fox news and dominion voting systems uh, what does that do to the media landscape what does it do to our politics 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. We've got two great guests right now talking about the current media landscape and how it's changed over the last several decades. John Watson is an associate professor in the School of Communication at American University. Paul Levinson is a professor of communications and media studies at Fordham University. We also want to hear from you on the phone, say it on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into this conversation. Uh, let's start with Rujus in Ypsilanti. Rujus, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for taking my call. It's Rajas. It's that time. Um, I was curious. It's, it's almost a history question. So what, what caused this major shift in viewership to only one channel? Mm -hmm. And um, to elaborate, like, was there something... Um, that the other channels, all the other ones, did to alienate like a huge swath of population um, in 
in in some sort of their own version of um, I want to call it like misinformation, disinformation. Why did like all this chunk of audience just move away yeah. and re- went to this other one channel? It's a really great question, uh, and and I'm glad you called and and asked it. Um, uh, I'm going to start with Paul here. Um, uh, tell us what made Fox change to what it what it is today. And I do remember it being uh, a little more balanced. I do remember it being a little more uh, straightforward. Um, what was about what what was happening that caused this this real polarization? Uh, there and as Rajesh says, saying, uh, you know, did the, did this happen in part because of things that other media players uh, did or did not do? Well, basically, all news operations are public facing, and they desperately want to know: Are they getting through to their audience? And as we've been saying, they want to keep their audience and increase their audience. And they're constantly doing focus groups, surveys, seeing what they can do better than they've been doing to increase their viewership. And what Fox found in the early 2000s over and over again is a lot of unhappiness any time Alan Combs on Hannity and Combs was talking what they found was their viewers wanted to hear more Sean Hannity. (laughs) And so it was just, as we've been saying, a simple monetary motive. Keep your viewers happy. Increase your viewers. Their slogan was fair and balanced. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it still is. They never were that fair and balanced, but they were somewhat fair and balanced. But they found out that that was not the best formula to keep and increase their viewership. And I have to tell you, you know, every time I appeared on Fox, I would get hundreds of hate mails from Fox viewers hmm. saying, you know, what, what, why does Fox even have someone like you on? You know, a communist from New York City, you know, and stuff <laughs> like that. So Fox heard that, and they got more and more provocative and less and less fair and balanced and inclusive and that's how we got to where we are today yeah so so john i mean do you do you agree that it's us who are responsible for this in other words uh that this was a shift in uh media diet that uh, that fox took advantage of uh and that you know consumers have decided that they want this kind of one-sided uh, news presented to them. I agree with Professor Levinson. Um, I, too, had been on the O'Reilly factor, and hmm. I was terrified by the number of hate emails I got immediately afterward and for weeks afterward. So uh, we're simpatico on that. Uh, I'm from <laughs> D.C., so I'm slightly less So you're also a communist, right? <laughs> yeah, only slightly less, though. <laughs> But I think that the beginning um, was a, a bit earlier than that. And I, and I, and I cite um, two books. One was The Coloring of News by William McGowan. Mm-hmm. And the full title was Coloring the News, How Crusading for Diversity Has Corrupted American Journalism. And this book was 
basically a indictment of the major news networks on television um, by claiming they were biased in favor of liberal, liberal causes, liberalism. Okay. That book won a uh, National Press Club Award in 2002. Um, The year before, Bernie Goldberg wrote a book, and it was titled uh, Bias, A CBS Insider Exposes How the Media Distort. Okay. These were indicators that longtime journalists were feeling a, a bit stretched by the news media's burgeoning progressive attitude. Now, they call it progressive, but the simple fact of the matter is for decades, well, maybe almost a century, mm-hmm. journalists have been the cutting edge, a cutting edge of, of, of change from negative uh, cultural values to positive cultural values. For example, the civil rights movement never would have succeeded without press coverage. Right. And the press coverage was biased in favor of freedom and equality. During the Reagan years, freedom and equality were, were looped together into the word liberal, mm-hmm. which became a four-letter word pretty much. <laughs> and this is what I think McGowan and, and Goldberg felt and wrote about. They were, in a sense, telling... Well, you remember the movie, the TV show featuring Archie Bunker? Sure. Yeah. For me and most of my friends, we were laughing at Archie. But other people were, were sympathizing were with Archie. With it. Yeah. Yes. They yeah. said, oh, finally, someone is stepping up and saying something. They're ridiculing him. But, you know, Archie, you know, he's our guy. Yeah. And yeah. McGowan and Goldberg, with no relation to the Archie Bunker um, persona, but that syndrome, they recognize that a lot of people in that generation were feeling uncomfortable as the press moved in an ethically progressive manner forward. Yeah, yeah. So they began setting up these camps, legitimizing illiberalism, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And then people who were looking to make money said, yeah, there's an audience there. I think that's how it began. Yeah. I mean, as, as a scholar, I know it's almost impossible to answer the question, why? Right. But yeah. I think these things correlate to the beginning of this movement. And also another major thing I thought about is during the Reagan administration, the ethical requirements for broadcasters, sure. particularly news broadcasters, were pretty much wiped out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the TV broadcasters, particularly in news, were pretty much the gold standard for ethical journalism, particularly the um, fair and balanced approach to news. Cable television was never 
never required to be fair and balanced. Right. We had no the FCC, we did not have that same standard on, on cable. Exactly. And that, yeah. and that, that launches yeah. all of this uh, in the in the direction of that. I, I want to get to at least one more phone call before we, we have to end. This is a really great uh, conversation. But uh, David in Southfield. David in Southfield, you're next. Uh, yes. Um, I uh, wanted to say, I'm just pulling in so I could get a little better air, uh, reception. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Go ahead, David. Okay. Yeah, I think that there needs to be a balanced approach because I believe that both liberal media as well as conservative media are both uh, unbalanced and, and, and dish out a lot of propaganda each way. Mm. And I think that unless you have a balanced view where the other side has a chance to actually present the other view to give uh, people a chance to see that there is a balanced view, I think that, and I think it would be uh, problematic if one basically shut down the other side because yeah. I think each side has a tendency to work propaganda so and David, silencing the other side. Yeah, so David, I, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a false equivalency, at least I think there is in, in some of what you're saying. I don't think that, that, they're, they're, that both sides, quote unquote, are engaging in this in the same way, but I'm curious about uh, what our what our guests think. And we've only got about a minute and a half left. But uh, Paul Levinson, I'll, I'll start with you. Go ahead. Uh, is David right? No, he, he's not, unfortunately. And what you just said is correct, because the difference between the progressive media and Fox is that the progressive media don't knowingly broadcast lies repeatedly over and over again. And that's what Fox has become. Absolutely, MSNBC has a progressive bias. There's no doubt about it. They fired Tucker Carlson a couple mm -hmm. of years ago because they, they thought he was too conservative. But they don't lie just about every minute that they're on the air. And that gets back again to the Dominion suit. That has to stop. And to get back to where we were at the very beginning, I do think that's a good first step. Yeah. Uh, John Watson, I've got about a minute, but uh, go ahead. Right. There are no two sides to the truth. You may have perspectives on the truth, mm -hmm. but accuracy is accuracy. And uh, a, a variety of perspectives, I think, is valuable in arriving at the truth. News organizations shouldn't pretend to tell people the truth. What they should do is give people the best evidence of the truth and let them decide what's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, John Watson and Paul Levinson. It was really great to have both of you here for uh, this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Mine as well. Thank you. Okay. That is going to do it for us this week. I'll be back on Monday when we're going to talk about the new reparations task force here in the city of Detroit and what the possibilities for reparations look like for some past and current city residents. Really important subject, really interesting public meeting uh, earlier this week uh, where Detroiters came out for the first time and were able to talk to members of this commission about what they think reparations ought to look like. We are going to talk uh, with the two folks who are leading that commission uh, about their work and what we should expect next. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our student producer is Taylor Davis. Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. 
This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.